I want to take some time to really just kind of walk through some updates on uh, really the life of our church, some of the, the neat things that we've seen in various ministries as a result of uh, the, the recent events. I mean, can you all believe it? We're, we're in the 10th month of a pandemic. That's crazy. Like, it's, it's still kind of mind-blowing to me. I don't know if it is for you to think that we're, we're still living in this global pandemic, but we are. And these last 10 months have been so life-shaping in so many different ways. And, and we've seen that and felt that on a personal level. We've, we've seen and felt it on a, on a communal level. I mean, we see it in so many different arenas of life. And, and I will tell you that part of what I've tried to do is, over the last 10 months, take these moments, uh, like I'm doing right now, to try to continue to in, encourage you and inform you of some of the things that God is doing and has done through this church. Because we're, we're scattered in ways that we used to not be. We don't, we don't overlap like we used to. We don't have the same opportunities to keep everyone informed like we, we've been able to in the past. And so I, I try to bring these things up at, the, at intentional time and intentional way so that you all can know so much of what's happening. And, and so one of the things I, I would just continue to reiterate is that I'm so proud of this church. And, and really the people that are within it. You know, when this pandemic first began, I, I marveled at just the, the way that the staff took it on and the way that you all took it on and, and the way we just almost immediately shifted gears and adapted. And, and that sort of adaptability has just been continually evident throughout these last 10 months. And I can't tell you how many times uh, I've just said how grateful I am to be a part of this team and a part of this, this group of people. And there are certain things that we've been able to highlight along the way that, that I think have garnered maybe a little bit more attention because of the way that we've needed you all to get involved. So like we, we think about the food distribution efforts. You know, we, we literally over the last 10 months have distributed hundreds of bags of groceries uh, to families. And in particular, in, in specific communities and areas that we've partnered with and that we've been intentional to continue to invest in. And, and that has been a tremendous opportunity to build relationships and really meet some tangible, practical needs. We, we've talked repeatedly about the uh, ways that we've tried to help the Presbyterian Night Shelter and how they had to pivot their operations and their procedures and their protocols. And I think at this point, I mean, it's, it's literally in the thousands of masks that our church and others have helped put together to help them in their operations, serving the vulnerable in the community. Uh, one, of, one of the highlights for me has been discipleship groups. Uh, you know, that's something that we were we were kind of beta testing for several years and, and kind of developing some, some uh, culture behind it and some ethos behind it. And then we kind of launched them for the whole church in the fall last year. And man, I mean, it was a great beginning, but what the pandemic did was put that development in our church on like warp speed. And it just became exponentially uh, in a part of our, our culture as now we have 25 plus groups and more than 200 folks uh, participating because it's one of the main ways that you can stay connected to one another. And, and it's been so uh, amazing to see that connectivity. And so th those are the things that we, we often talk about and get a little bit more discussion and a little bit more conversation in public. But so many of the other things that have encouraged me are the things that take place behind the scenes that I've tried to reference along the way. Maybe you've heard before, maybe you've forgotten. But, you know, the, the things that I love are stories that I get told, like a, a church member um, really is an older couple that said, did you know that so-and-so in our church, I'm not sharing names today just for, for privacy reasons, but they said, did you know so-and-so in our church, just as soon as this started happening, they just started bringing us groceries every week because they knew it wasn't safe for us to get out 
And, and they just did that on there, and they're still doing it. Can you believe that after, after all this time? We had, we had another individual in our church that when everything was online and there was no real option to meet in person, he didn't have the resources um, and ability to connect virtually in, in any service, in any capacity. So a friend of his in his own discipleship group started going over to his place on a weekly basis saying, all right, let's, let's listen to this together. And, and really just lived with him and fellowshiped with him and did church together, right? We, we had people that once we did start meeting in service uh, in person again, that just showed up like without us asking, ready to do all the additional work and, and all the additional uh, efforts to make sure that people felt loved and received and things were organized. I mean, it was just really incredible to see that, that giving spirit just intuitively, um, instinctively uh, be offered. Uh, we've had new people join our church. Uh, a lot of new people join our church, and a lot of them come with these, these ideas and these passions for ministry. We've got a young couple that joined our church, and, and they're like, they've got a passion for prison ministry and, and ways that we can maybe meaningfully engage with, with that demographic in, in a way that's safe, uh, but a way that's intentional. And so we've been talking through what those efforts could look like. Um, we, we've got uh, so many different new things developing as well. This last week, we, I've been telling you all about recovery ministry. We've got two, two groups now available for, for both men and women that if you're in a season of your life where, I, I've told you before, it's not just like, oh, I'm struggling with an addiction or a substance. It, it's really, man, if you just need healing from anything, right, from grief, from anger, from any, anything, loneliness, whatever, if you're just in a season where you need to work on, on some things in your own life, man, we've got some groups that are ready to go. Uh, the men's group is still kind of gathering some momentum and, and waiting to really kind of get kicked off, but it's, it's ready. But the women's group started this last week, and I got an a, a email from the facilitator that just said, man, God was all over it, and it was so powerful, and it was so good, and they're so excited for the future. Um, going back to the feud distribution, a couple weeks ago, we delivered all these groceries uh, for Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving meals, and one of the guys that is a part of our regular, regular uh, volunteer basis for the distributions on Wednesday, kept texting me on the day of his deliveries because he had the opportunity to, to lead three different people uh, in a prayer to receive Christ because he went out not just taking groceries, but the gospel. And uh, it's, it's those things that, that are just so incredibly humbling. And so I, I go through that list this morning for a couple of different reasons. First and foremost, I just want you all to know I love this church, and I hope you do too. Uh, I love it. I mean, we're, we're far from perfect, you know, I mean, and I know that, and, and no church is, praise Jesus, right? But, but I love this church, and, and that's really because I love the people in it. Uh, you all are phenomenal people. I'm honored to serve alongside you and to be a part of this. Um, the other reason I, I share some of these tidbits with you and some of these stories and anecdotes is so that you know God is at work, like in very real, profound, meaningful ways. We are not a church that is sitting by waiting for a pandemic to pass. We're not just kind of barely hanging on and holding on, waiting for things to get back to normal. Like we, we are flourishing in, in very profound ways because God is at work. His spirit is on the move in so many ways, which is really what leads me to the main reason for me sharing these things this morning, which is to ask you a question. If, if God is at work as we know he is and always is, what's he leading you to do? But what task is he putting in front of you? And we know that that can vary in size and scope, 
But if you spent the time in the midst of this season to really give thoughtful consideration, what, what is God leading me to do? Have you asked yourself that? Do you have a sense of what that is? And my hope is, is that you think about that not just from uh, an individualistic point of view, right? That, that you'd also uh, understand that when we ask that question of what God is leading us to do as individuals, we know that it should be in harmony somewhat with what we're doing together collectively as well. And that another question is, what is God leading us to do as a church? Where is he leading us? What is he leading us to do? All those different questions. And the reason I think that's such an important question to ask is because when we lean into that, right, when we lean into the idea and the the promise that God is on the move, that he is at work, and that he's calling you to something specific, then what we get to discover when we really press into that is the repeated assurance of this promise that God is with us. What a beautiful thing to experience and to enjoy. And that's the hope, right? Not just of this Advent season, but that we can lean into it in such a way to see that God's power truly is at work in our lives, in our church, in our community in this world. He's with us. And for that, we need to be grateful. And so let's, let's offer prayers of gratitude and continued guidance as we begin and go into his word today. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we are grateful for so many of the wonderful things that you are stirring within us as individuals and as a church. And we ask, Father, that you would not hold back, Father, but you would just continue to unleash your presence within each and every heart that's here and not here, Father, that you would continue to to bring us together collectively in a greater pursuit of you. And so, Father, speak clearly. Give us clear understanding and direction of where it is you are leading us and what it is that you're leading us to do, Father, not just so that we can, can better identify a task or a set of responsibilities, Father, but so that we can truly live and breathe and feel and know that you are with us. Father, we know that you're with us now, and so we ask that your Spirit would guide us that it would awaken our hearts and our souls, that you would encourage us this morning as we dive into your word, that it would speak to us in ways that it hasn't before, and that we would leave here once again with the assurance that only you can provide, emboldened and encouraged to live boldly and faithfully for you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, that is the theme of this Advent series. God is with us, right? He is with you. And we introduced that theme last week, and it's going to be the theme that governs our our series of Sundays here in the course of Advent. And as I told you last week, what we're going to do is we're going to take a collection of stories from both Old and New Testament passages of Scripture that really give greater color to that promise. And so last week, for example, we looked at the life of Jacob. Here is Jacob in his own personal exile, right? He's, He's living, he's on a retreat from his family, like trying to leave all this dysfunction and disharmony, and he's He's on this journey, and it's there in the most unexpected season, the most unexpected moment that God reveals himself in this miraculous dream. And it's there we, we see this promise and this affirmation, this blessing that was given to his forefathers is now extended to Jacob, and it's there that we see the assurance that God will be with him. And so we, we looked at how that, that promise was, was further discussed and revealed by God to Jacob to see that when we see that God is with us, it means that he's going to watch over us. Right? There's going to be a level of care and protection that, that God provides to us, that it means uh, he's got a, a plan in place. Right? He told Jacob, I'm going to bring you back to this land. This journey that you're on has a purpose. It has a destination. God has a plan. So it's not just that he's with us, but he's, he's leading us in accordance to that plan. Right? And it's not just the idea of, of 
him watching over us and, and leading us with that intentionality, but the permanency of that promise, right? That as he told Jacob, I will never leave you, but I'm always with you. And how that really should elicit a, a response of strength and courage. And so we talked about that at length last week, and we're gonna continue that conversation today in terms of what it means to understand this promise of God's presence, that he is with us. And we're gonna look at another character in the Old Testament. So grab your Bibles and turn to Joshua chapter one. And as I've said uh, repeatedly, if you don't have a Bible, please don't hesitate to ever let us know as we would love to gift you one of those. But we're gonna turn to Joshua chapter one, and, and we're gonna read the first nine verses, but we're gonna kind of break it out in two different parts this morning, reading just the first six verses together. And Joshua, if, if you're familiar with the Old Testament story at all, you would know is associated with Moses. Right, and so here's, here's Moses, the central figure of the Old Testament that helps lead the people up out of Egypt and through the wilderness, and now there's this transition of responsibility, this transition of leadership from Moses to Joshua. And what we're looking at today in Joshua chapter one is, is what that transition looks like and how God speaks to Joshua in the midst of that transition. So let's pick it up, starting in chapter one, verse one. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses is eight. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. And as I was with Moses... So I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. All right, let's stop there for a moment. All right, so, so here's the context to this story. It cannot be overstated the importance of Moses to the people of Israel. Right? I mean, Moses was it. And he was central and integral to every area of life, the religious life, the economic aspect to life, the military aspect, the judicial, the, the civic. I mean, you name it, Moses was at the center of all things. Right? Moses was, was hugely important to the nation of Israel. We talked about this last week, that when you think about uh, the Old Testament stories, there's kind of this upper echelon of names that typically first come to your, the surface of your minds, right? It's, it's Abraham, it's maybe Noah, David, but without a doubt, if not at the top of the list, near the top of the list, we think of Moses. I mean, it's, it's Moses, right? I mean, he, he was such a central figure to some of the most incredible parts of the biblical narrative, and this is who Joshua gets to follow, <laughs> right? Like, congratulations, you get to follow Moses, right? Like, come on. You, you think about the pressure. You, you think about the, the monumental task and pressure of following someone like Moses. It absolutely had to be overwhelming, right? There, there's no doubt that Joshua had to feel some level of pressure at following the, the lineage and the history and, and the legacy of someone like Moses. So no wonder it's, it's in this moment of transition from one era to the next that we're going to stumble upon, again, this promise, this assurance that God is going to extend to Joshua. Don't worry, I will be with you. 
right? And, and I think we can in some ways relate to Joshua because hopefully there have been these moments in our lives where we feel like God has, has positioned us for a task that feels overwhelming, right? That, that feels so monumental that we feel ill-equipped, that we feel like this, this isn't possible, right? Am I really capable for this? And it's there in those moments that we want and need this sort of assurance. Don't, don't worry, be strong, be courageous, I am with you. And so it's a very significant moment. And, and I want us to, to learn a little bit from these first six verses of how God introduces and speaks to Joshua about this transition. Some, some things really kind of jumped off the page at me when I was studying it earlier this week. But what really kind of resonated with me uh, at, the front, at the onset was really how God began the conversation. And notice what he says to Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead. But now you... And the rest of the people will get ready. That's a pretty powerful statement when you think about it. Pretty, pretty direct in many respects. Now, let me clarify. I don't, I don't think God's being dismissive of Moses by any re- regard, right? I mean, he's referring to him as a servant. But, but think about that for a moment. What he just told Joshua is that Moses, yes, great, yes, essential, critical, central to all the different things that we've done. Moses is dead. Right? Now, now, what is that communicating to Joshua? I think it, it communicates several things, and it has some implications for you and me today, right? Part of what I think God is trying to communicate to Joshua is that, yes, as essential as Moses was, as critical as he was, as remarkable as he was in all these different things, here's the reality. Moses isn't with you, but I am. What God is trying to get Joshua to see is that as great as Moses was, he is not the hero of this story. God is. And so when you and I think about things that we're called to and how we pursue life in our own arenas and responsibilities, I think there's some good lessons from a statement like that. Number one is that we should never really idolize those who are entrusted with certain responsibilities in the kingdom. Right? We should never really become so enamored with people that seem to have such a central and critical role because the reality is, is that they're not the hero of the story. Right? In the same way, we shouldn't think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Right? It's not about us. You're, you're not the hero of your own story. God is. But it keeps our focus on him. And, and, and God is bringing Joshua right back to that anchor in that center Moses, my servant, is dead. Right? And in addition to that, I think part of what he's communicating is you can't live in the past, which is another good lesson for you and me. Right? I think God absolutely calls us to remember the past, right? to, to not lose sight of the ways that he is faithful and has been with us. Like you don't, you don't want to forget the past, but you don't want to live in it either. Right? Look, look at what he's saying. Now, get yourself ready. Yes, Moses great. Yes, incredible things happen. Guess what? There's still work to be done. Now, get yourself ready. Right? Part of what we need to learn from this, this statement of transition is that, yes, we can be mindful of the past, we can look towards the past, we can learn from it, but we live in the present. It's about living in the present moment, in the present day, the present time with what God is asking you to do. And so that leads to the inevitable question that, that God has really kind of presented here to Joshua, and I think resonates for us today. Are you ready? Right, that's what he says. You and, and all the people, get ready. So are you. Are you ready for what God has called you to do, what he's asked you to do? 
Do you really have that sense of readiness? Or are you still living in the past, wishing that it was used to be something that you used to know, wishing that things could go back to the way that they used to be? Oh man, before the pandemic, it was, it's about now. This present moment, are you ready for what God is asking you to do today? I know in my experience, in my own life, a lot of times my struggle is maybe not necessarily living in the past, but kind of just pushing things off to the future, right? That, that a lot of times we can sit uh, around and sense God leading us somewhere thinking to ourselves, yeah, I'm going to do that, but later, right? After school, I can really begin to do what God wants me to do, or after I'm, I'm through with this part of my career and and maybe once the kids are grown, or maybe once I have kids, right? All these different things that we put as greater importance continually has us pushing things away and delaying this calling and these responsibilities that God is bringing to us. And again, he's saying, no, it's not about waiting. It's right now. There is work to be done. Are you ready? That's a great question for us. So what was he asking Joshua to be ready to do? Well, very specifically, cross the Jordan into the promised land. It's a really significant moment. Part of what we, we really need to, to resonate with here is to recognize that it wasn't just the monumental task of following Moses, but Joshua is literally about to lead the people of God into the promised land. You understand how significant that is? This is the land that was talked about to Abraham. Right? This is the ancestral promise that had been so much a part of the patriarchal narrative throughout the course of the Old Testament. Right? This was the blessing that was given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and to, jo- and to Moses. Right? I mean, like, like so many had longed for this moment, and Joshua gets to be the one to actually lead it into fulfillment. What a monumental task. It's incredible. And, it, and I think there's something that we need to learn from this as well. Right, several implications when you really consider this is that number one, part of what it says to me and what I would remind you is that we are not guaranteed to see the fulfillment of what God has promised us. I mean, think about all the people that, at least in this life is what I would say, right? Think about all the people that had been given this blessing of this land. Right? The land was always God's supreme gift to Israel in so many different ways. And Abraham didn't get to see it. Isaac, Jacob, even Moses, as great as he was, was not allowed to set foot in it. It's a reminder to to all of us that, that we're not guaranteed to see the fruition of all the things that we work towards. Right? We're not guaranteed that. In fact, some of the things that you might be doing with your life and in your life and the things that you sense that God is leading you to, you may not get a chance to see come to fruition. It might be the person that follows you. Or it might be a generation later. Who knows? Maybe you will be Joshua. Maybe you do get to see it in fulfillment. We don't know. And so part of it is to understand is that it's not really about getting exactly what we want and how we want it, but just being faithful to what God has asked us to do. And the reason we can do it is the second implication that we see in this is that God is faithful. Even though we may not always get to see the fruit of some of these promises in this life, what we see here in this moment is that God was true to his word, is true to his word. He is faithful. The land is being inherited by these people, right? And so what you and I can understand when we pursue God's plan on our life, when we respond to the things that he's calling us to, is that even if we 
we wanted a different time, if we wanted a different pace, if we wanted a different situation, we have to trust that it all come together according to God's timing more than our own. And never lose sight of the fact that we can be faithful because we know for sure that he is faithful. And whatever we commit ourselves to, whether we see it or not, will yield the fruit that brings him glory, that honors his promises. Right? So we see some pretty significant implications here, right? That, that, the, that the responsibility was monumental to follow Moses' footsteps, that the task was monumental to lead them into the promised land. And so, so what I think we should aspire to here when you consider all this to know that uh, it's not always gonna be guaranteed that we get to see it and that God's timing is not always gonna work out. What, what we need to do is, is kind of gravitate to some of the things that you see embedded within these opening verses, which is this description that is given to Moses. What does it say of Moses? How does he get described here? Moses, a servant of the Lord. You know, that's a pretty rare title. Not many folks within the books of the Old Testament get that designation. Moses does, David does. It's referred to in Isaiah, right, to the suffering servant. Right, but, but very few do. And, and yet, what a beautiful thing to aspire to. And, and Joshua doesn't get that designation here in chapter one. You see that? Moses does, but Joshua doesn't. But what is interesting is that if you read throughout the entirety of this book, is that it is upon Joshua's final moments, upon his death, that he is then referred to as a servant of the Lord. It's almost as if God was saying, okay, here's the task, here's the responsibility, how will you respond? And what a beautiful example for you and for me that it's not really about the results and what we will or will not see, but if we can all reach that point at the end of our days where others look in on our lives and say, well, that person right there, they were a servant of the Lord. That's the goal, right? That's what we commit ourselves to, right? No matter what the task is, no matter whether it's, it's significant or small and mundane, man, if, if, if everything can be met with that sort of obedience and that sort of faithfulness, then we will be known as a servant of the Lord. And so that's what is laid out here for Joshua, and it's there with that context that we find a reiteration of this promise. Absolutely, this is a lot for you. This is a, a monumental task, a monumental moment, but don't Fear, Joshua, be strong, be courageous. Why? Because I am with you. In the same way I was with Moses, I am with you. And we talked a lot about that promise last week, and so I don't need to go into to all the different details, but there is another element to that phrase of God being with us that I want to highlight for you this morning. The, the word with in the Hebrew is actually im, okay, which is why Emmanuel, right, the first part of that word, God with us, that's where you find the with part. And, and what's significant about that is that as while it seems like such a, a simple word, right, an unassuming word, it carries a tremendous weight of implications. Because what with implies is fellowship, right, commonality. Right? What, what it implies is is relationship. What, what we are seeing here is that our God is a relational God. He is in relationship with us. It's not just like he's nearby. It's not just that he's in the room. No, he, he wants to actually have relationship and fellowship with his people. That's the, the heart of the promise. And so what we know is that relationships are two-sided. Right? One, One-sided relationships rarely work. 
And so if we are really going to embrace the understanding of God being with us and to understand that that's an invitation into relationship, then the question needs to then follow, well, then what is expected of me in this relationship? How how do I foster this relationship? How do I help it grow? And I think that's what we begin to see with greater clarity in the subsequent verses. So let's continue reading, picking back up in chapter one, now following along in verse seven. The Lord continues and says, be strong and very courageous. Here it is. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go, right? So, so kind of bookend, bookended on this, this set of verses is this reiteration. Be strong and very courageous. Don't be discouraged for I will be with you, right? God is, is doing everything he can to give this reassurance to Joshua. But, but right there in the middle of it, where I wanna draw our attention this morning is, is what Joshua is to do to further understand this relationship and, and to grow in this promise. And what does he say? He says, be careful then to obey and observe all the law that I gave to my servant Moses. Right? Don't, don't turn from it to the right or to the left. Meditate on it. Let it always be on your lips. What an interesting statement and a, and a great guide for you and I to begin to consider, okay, well, then, then how does that correlate to the expectations of us? So, so that, that opening comment there, that phrase, be careful to obey is, is the same word that we talked about last week when it said uh, in that discussion with Jacob that God said, I will watch over you, right? And we talked about how the root of that word means to give careful consideration to, right? To, to pay attention to. Now, now it's that same word, but it's us according to God's law, according to his word, that we should give careful consideration and diligently watch over, pay attention to the law that he gave to Moses, right? We, we are to understand his word. We are to understand his plan, his purposes, his expectations for us. It's a very direct statement to the point that he says you you can't deviate from it to the right or to the left, right? Not at all. In fact, you should should meditate on this. It should always be on your lips. Uh, what, What he's referring to there is a common practice amongst the Hebrew people that whenever they would study God's word, they would often uh, mutter it. In fact, the word meditate means to, to mutter, right? And so they would, they would kind of speak it out because the belief was is that if I was speaking it as well as reading it, then it was almost impossible for my mind to think about anything else. And it was a higher level of concentration. And so, so when you package all that together, right, don't, don't turn from it, pay careful consideration, meditate, always be on your lips. What, what, what is being said here is essentially you, you don't just need to know this word, you, you need to live it out. This is about your commitment to this law and my expectations of you and my plans for you in both thought and in deed, right? And that's a very important connection for you and me to make, right? It's not enough just to know God's word. There has to be a level of obedience in order for us to truly experience his presence, to know this promise that he's with us and to grow in that relationship, right? It it has to correlate. I, I, I think about it, really kind of from the vantage point of, of youth sports. And by youth, I mean like young children. Uh, y'all know that that's kind of the season of life that I'm in right now. My kids are 
you know, 10 and 8, and so they're, they're playing a lot of sports for the early part of their childhood. And when you're, when you're stepping into that arena, and I've uh, really had the privilege and joy of being able to coach my kids' teams several times along the way, and, and it's a really interesting experience. It's a great test of patience because when you're teaching young kids a whole new concept where they don't know the rules, they don't know the terminology, I mean, like, you're really kind of having to start from scratch on so many different levels. Like for example, when we would coach soccer and, and when they were four and five, I mean, they don't know positions, they don't know plays. We, we used to refer to it as herd ball, you know, because they just kind of all follow the ball wherever it goes. And so, but that's still kind of the season that they're in. And I've been coaching my son's flag football team. And I was talking about this with him even just yesterday, you know, because you, you can gather those kids up, right? You can get in the huddle. They got this little whiteboard. I'm like, all right, here's Here's the play, and I draw it out for them. I'm like doing a picture. I'm teaching them terminology and all. Here's what you do. Here's how you do it. And man, it's fun. Like they'll be in the huddle and be like, "Oh, yeah, good play," you know. And then they go out and they get in position, and then the defense happens, and it's like everything goes wrong, you know. Like then they run the wrong route. They'd make the wrong read. I mean, and like none of it works. And, and the point is, is that it's like, listen, if you don't execute what's actually on here for you, your chances of success are going to significantly diminish. And I think that's true for us when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, right? We can gather up on Sunday and huddle around and look at God's word and be like, ooh, that's good. I like that. And then we go out into life and life happens. And all of a sudden, we start to deviate and go to the left, to the right on our own. And guess what? Our, our chances of success in life to thrive the way that God wants us to thrive decreases significantly, right? Diminishes. And, and that's really what what God is after here. The reason he's pointing him back to his word is he's saying, listen, if you want to be successful with this task, yes, it's monumental. Yes, it's significant. But if you, if you want to be successful, then, then follow this, right? I, I've given you the way in which you should do this. And so that's what really kind of introduces this idea of success and prosperity. Yes, it's overwhelming, but, but you can be successful. You can be prosperous with what I'm asking you to do. Those are some pretty strong words that God has included in his conversation here with Joshua. And it, and it makes me, you know, kind of stop and give pause and, and begin to wonder, what do you think of when you hear those types of words like success and prosperous? And what image comes to your mind when you hear that? Um, I often find myself asking that question when I'm preparing a message. Like, I wonder what people think of when they hear this. And so a lot of times the way I, I answer that for myself is I go to Google and, and I'll just type the word in and click on images. And I just like to see what kind of pictures come up with those words. And so I did that this week and, and I thought I would share it with you this morning. I took a little screenshot so that we could kind of see of what comes up. Here, here's what comes up with success, right? Um, Pretty common theme, apparently, whenever you think of success, you think of some silhouette on a mountain, I guess, or running a road. You know, there's some sort of obstacle that you have to overcome, but you can kind of see the theme is that there's this progression of, of moving up, right, of, of summiting a mountain or climbing a ladder, right? And that's kind of common with what we might think of success. Now, think about how prosperous kind of correlates with something like this. Here are the images for prosperous. What's interesting with, with prosperity is that now it becomes much more monetary in value. That typically is what we associate with that word. You can see the, the, the money tree and the, the dollar signs and the green, but it's still this image that kind of points to a progression upwards, 
And, and that's really what we tend to think of, isn't it? When we think about being successful and prosperous, we, we think about a, a progression moving forward, right? We climb the corporate ladder, right? We, we gain greater material acquisition, material wealth. A lot of it is this tangible, uh, materialistic sort of understanding of success and prosperity that we typically correlate with those terms. And I think there's a degree to that here, right? I mean, if you think about it, Joshua's about to go and engage in these battles and, and, and conquer them, and they're going to inhabit this land. I mean, there is some true material prosperity that's about to take place. But when you really look at the biblical understanding of the word and the definition, it's, it's actually much simpler, but in my estimation, richer as well, right? So that, that in a lot of ways, uh, what it means is to uh, accomplish thoroughly. I love that. It's not just to accomplish, it's to accomplish thoroughly. Prosperous means to, to accomplish satisfactorily. And, and with success, the, the root that is used for that word is often also translated in other verbs and senses to, to imply wisdom, understanding, insight. So my point is, is that if I were going to try to summarize what those words kind of were trying to convey is that it's not this tangible, materialistic success and prosperity, that, but that ultimately what God is saying is that what I'm asking you to do, you're going to accomplish thoroughly. Not barely, not, not maybe, but thoroughly. And in the process, what you're really going to gain is you're going to gain wisdom and understanding and insight. That's what's going to make you successful. That's going to be what makes you prosperous. I don't, and what a, what a beautiful Assurance that what God is, is asking us to do, if we, if we cling to his word and we do what it says, then what we're going to discover is that what he's going to accomplish in us and through us, he will do so thoroughly. And what we will be beneficiaries of is not necessarily some monetary gain, but a gain of true wisdom and understanding of who he is. What a, what a beautiful picture Right? And so, so here's, here's kind of what I think becomes a much more profound and yet very important implication for us to consider when we, when we think about that. that. That whenever God asks us to do something, it should always drive us back to his word. And when we get driven back to his word and truly begin to dive into what it says, what do we discover? What we discover is that while God, yes, is in many ways task-oriented, he is just as much heart-oriented. What he's after here is not just Joshua to lead him across the Jordan. He wants Joshua's heart. Because what do you discover when you pour into the laws of God? It's transformation within. It's a call not just to a task, but to love God with all your heart your soul, your mind, and your strength. It's a call to love your neighbors, yourself, to care for the foreigner, the widow, the orphan. It is about your heart. And what we really begin to discover here is a very important lesson, is that who is often way more important than what. That who you are is really gonna be what determines the impact of what you do. And that's something we can't lose sight of when we consider what God is calling us to. In fact, I would say that maybe the better question for each of us this morning is not just what is he asking you to do and what is he calling you to do, but who is he asking you to be? That's an important journey for us to go through. I know it's one that I've gone through. 
in my own life, and, it, and it's been very transformational. You know, I, when I was younger, I, I honestly don't know that I really believed I was gonna grow up to be a professional athlete. Like, I don't, I don't think I thought that. But I do know that that's what I dreamed of, right? Like, I, I, if I was dribbling the ball in the house, it was because I was getting ready to hit the game-winning shot. You know, if I was out in the front yard, it's because I was about to get the game-winning touchdown or hit the game-winning home run. Like, that's what I thought of. It was always this, this grandiose vision of notoriety and success and prosperity. That's what I, what I really wanted. And I think as, as I got older, uh, the, the visions of what I was going to be asked to do with my life, uh, you know, maybe became a little bit more honorable, um, less fanciful, but still grandiose, right? So like when I really began to, to feel a call towards missions, right, that what I envisioned that task to look like was, was I wanted to be a part of something really remarkable. Like I wanted to be part of a movement of God. It was more than just, hey, I want to go overseas. It was like I, I truly want to position myself in a way that I can see villages and people and cultures, like people by the thousands experience change and to see baptisms and to see transformation, right? It was this grandiose picture of what I felt like God was calling me to do. And, and what I discovered is that as it became time for me to step into that and begin to pursue it, that, that God was actually closing the door on those things that I was convinced he had called me to do, right? And, and India didn't work out, and Japan didn't work out, and Nepal didn't work out, and I really had to, to wrestle with that. Because I was like, but, but God, this is what you asked me to do. And what I discovered in that own, my own personal story there and, and, and kind of wrestling with God was that there was still part of my heart that I hadn't truly given, right? That that I had to acknowledge that. And what I discovered was that, okay, all right, God, if, if I'm not being who you've asked me to be, then I can do that regardless of what I've been asked to do and where you've been asking me to go, right? That, that if you want me to be a missionary, I can be a missionary, whether that's in Mumbai or Japan or Nepal or Fort Worth, right? Who you've asked me to be is way more important than what I think you've asked me to do. I had kind of, in many respects, idolized or built up the task and forgotten the greater question, the great importance of who I was supposed to be. And that has truly changed my approach to life. And so I, I stepped into this role with still dreams of grandiose ideas. I mean, that, that doesn't go away, it's who I am. Still believing that you know, we will see a movement of God thousands of people that have life change and experience baptism and conversion and all this different things. We just see this movement of God sweep across this community. That's still what I, what I envision and dream, but I have a very different anchor now. Part of what I know is that whether I get to see the fulfillment of that or not is not really up to me, right? That all I need to do is be a servant of the Lord today, whatever that looks like, right? And if I can do that faithfully, knowing that he is faithful, what I will discover in the process is that when I give him my heart, I fully begin to discover his. All right, so like, for example, uh, not too long ago, Jennifer asked me the question, it was kind of one of those spousal check-in moments uh, where she just says, how, how's this pastoring thing going? How do you like it? Uh, is it going okay? 
And, and I told her, man, I said, I love it. I love everything about it. I feel fulfilled, and, and I do. I, I mean that when I say it. But I, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm not saying this to, like, alarm. I'm just telling you a story. It's just very true. I'm just trying to uh, be transparent here. But I, I did. I told her. I said, but you know what? I learned a long time ago that I can be who God has asked me to be, and I can do what he's calling me to do, doing anything. I can go sell water if I need to. And I can still live into the calling that God has placed in my life. Because who I am really determines the impact of what I do. And that's true for each and every one of us. And so if we really want to live into this promise and understand this relationship of God being with us, then each and every one of us today needs to leave with that question. And it's not just what has God asked me to do, but who is he asking me to be? And what I want you to know, and what I want you to be encouraged by this morning, is that what Advent tells us, what the birth of Jesus tells us, is that God is after your sin-soaked heart. That's what he wants, more than anything else. And if you give him that, and allow him to, to wash it, and cleanse it, and transform it, so that you live out this this call to love him and love others well, then I assure you, no matter what task he gives you, you will have an impact, <laughs> undoubtedly. And so let's make that our goal. Let's make that our commitment. That when we can come into this room and to anything that this season or any situation presents itself, that we can offer up to the Lord and say, Lord, you have my heart. And make that commitment that we will spend the rest of our days searching for his. And if we do that, I assure you, we will see his glory. We will be continually reminded of the beauty of this promise. He is with us. Let's pray. And Father in heaven, we do ask God that you would never let the truth of that promise be far from any of us. God, that you would help us to see your glory in ways that only you can. You would help us to see and understand your presence in ways that, that only you can reveal yourself. Father, that ultimately if any of us is here today and there's a part of our lives, a part of our heart that maybe we've held on to, and we continue to cling to. Father, the things that we, we know that you have asked us to be, the people that you've called us to be, Father, if there are those things that we are, we are being challenged by trials and hardships or difficulties or seasons or just even apathy, God, if there's anything that holds us back, Father, we confess it now and we surrender it to you. And what we really want to do, Father, is we want to give our lives to you in such a way that we can be known as your servant and nothing more because we know that we're not the hero of the story. You are. So let our lives point back to you. Father, I pray for the clarity for everyone that's in here. God, that you would speak to them and say in a very clear way what it is that you're calling them to do and where you're calling them to go. More importantly, who you're calling them to be. And that collectively, Father, we can be a people that continually comes together and sings of your praises and says, Lord, you have 
our hearts. And we will give our lives to search for yours. And in so doing, Father, may you always remind us of the depth and the beauty of this promise that you're with us. We love you, Father. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen.